May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus. And welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm Rose Kilior, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. USC Whoa. coming off a historic loss to UCLA, 62-33 to in the Coliseum. Pretty crazy. So, of course, a lot to break that all down. I always say... This is like group therapy. We're therapists for USC fans, so make sure you put your comments, your questions uh, in the chat wherever you're watching, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. We'd love to answer your questions. Also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision. I'll put your tweet up on the screen. Guys, like I said, it was bad on Saturday for (laughs) USC. There's no other way to put it, really. Ryan, I know you wrote a column after the game basically saying this is the worst USC team in a long while. Yeah. Take it away. Yeah, so uh, historically bad. We've said that so many times this year. Why is it historically bad? Stanford, you know, 17-point underdog, you down by 29 points in the fourth quarter. Oregon State haven't not didn't get a win since 1960. Utah never win in the Coliseum. There was just like time after time after time. And you start thinking about it, and I was like, how many points have Pac-12 opponents scored in the Coliseum this year? And it's like, I so I went back, I went through the media guide to look through every year, and I mostly just went through bad years to see, like, okay, was it worse? Now, more points are being scored in modern college football, but yeah. just in general, has USC been outscored by conference opponents? And it's only happened six times since World War II. Um, this year by a wide margin, uh, 70 points. Uh, two, they've given up 225 points to Pac-12 opponents in the Coliseum. Uh, you know, one in four, the only win being Arizona, and that was like a high water mark for them as far as offensive output goes, and only scored 155. And it's crazy. And you look back and, you know, for, for fans that, you know, weren't around, you know, that have been around for a while, um, you know, Petros Papadakis talks about the 2000 team, Paul Hackett's last year, being the worst team in USC history, mainly because they finished tied for last in the Pac-12. Um, they were 5-7 and seven also. What I'm saying here is if USC is not going to be favored in their last two games, BYU is like UCLA sort of on steroids. They're 4-0 in the Pac-12. They beat Utah already. Like the, It looks like they're the best team in the Pac-12. BYU's already beat them. It looks like USC has a very – and Cal's playing really good football right now. They were before COVID hit. And I didn't think they'd get back to the, you know, but they put a beat down on Stanford yesterday. It was you know, 41-11. USC is very likely looking at a 4-8 and eight season. If that happens, um, you know, just the, the fact that they were giving up so many points at home, I said, this is like the worst that I've seen um, for sure. So I wanted to go back and through history and even talking to people, you know, I, you know, you know Petros, he says he's the captain of the worst football team in history. They're 5-7. Like, that team... You know, was still better than this team. The 1991 team with Larry Smith that went three and eight. Um, that team beat number five Penn State. You know, like they they fought. Like they were like this team has no life to it right now. And the fact that you could just give up so many points at home, every single opponent that comes into the Coliseum is scoring like their most points they've scored all year. You can't have that happen over and over and over again. So the the worst team I could find was back in 1957. Uh, the team went one and nine. I actually got an email from someone that said, I remember that. I was in high school, and this USC's team's still worse. I'm not going to go there, but I mean, I don't know what was going on in 1957, but it's been a while. Um, you know, that was the, the whatever, the 
West Coast Conference, the eight Pacific eight. No, it wasn't Pacific eight. So I forget what they call it. But there was only eight teams in the conference back then. So now you're getting like a chance to play five home games, which you haven't done, you know, outside the last like 12 years or so. Uh, you haven't had as many opportunities, but five opportunities to play at home against Pac-12 opponents, and just every single one of them were scoring a ton of points on you. So, Keely, for me, it just you know, I was like, this is the worst team in a really long time, um, and I'm not getting much pushback from it. I mean, there's people who are just like some people don't want me. To, I'm not, I'm not throwing players under the bus. It's a confluence where the Steelers are playing right now. That you know, the Three Rivers. It's a confluence of of errors, I think, that's happened to get us to this point terrible leadership from the president of the university to the athletic directors, the people they hired, uh, the head coaches, all that stuff, the assistant coaches, everything. And now it's like time to clean it up. You tried to clean up the athletic department. You bring in a Mike Bone and you're hoping he's going to do a good job. Now his job is to bring in a new head coach and have him clean everything up and do a good job. But this is this is as bad as as anyone, I think, that's watching this program has probably ever seen a USC football team. And that's, that's something. Yeah. Yeah. I think Petros is going to lose his claim to fame. Yeah. He's no longer be a captain on the, the worst team because this team, uh, you know, is, is up there. So you're going to take some, some new guys going to be able to, to run with that if they, they desire to. I don't think anyone really wants that. No. Title like Petros does. So, I mean, maybe that's what gives this team some kind of spark, but the if, if they play, I mean, the problem is it's not like, well, if you fix a couple things, you can beat BYU and you can beat Cal. Like, this is not fix a couple of things. This is complete break, like complete system breakdowns. You're not putting band-aid. You need, yeah, I mean, to, to get this team to win one of the last two games seems like it's going to be a major hurdle just the way they're playing. Just everything goes wrong. And any as soon as you get punched in the mouth once, let me fix this for you while you get punched in the mouth. As soon as you get punched in the mouth once, they just don't respond. And uh, it's sad. You know, you feel bad for the players and, uh, but like I've said a million times, it's the adults in the room that kind of failed these guys, and they're kind of like left holding the bag. Yeah, I, I think that you look at the defense yesterday. Start out with Dorian Thompson-Robinson's first two pass attempts, interceptions. Where did it go from there? He scored six <laughs> touchdowns. He threw four. He ran for two more. And the ones that he threw, pretty much wide open guys. Yeah. You know, a couple of them, you know, the couple of short ones to Kyle Phillips where guys were trailing him man-to-man -man coverage. They just got beat. The other ones bust. And that's the thing. This defense has been pretty good at being in position. Yesterday, they were not. You know, the, the touchdown, um, I believe it was the, the second long touchdown, the one to Casimir Allen that was like 85 yards. There's a guy running wide open on the other side. <laughs> he threw it to Casimir Allen, and there was a defender there, and it, it worked out for him. Isaac Taylor Stewart almost gets his hand on it. But there's a guy wide open on the other side, and that's something you know that that USC happened a couple of times to them in that game, where just wide open. Which Michael, wide open guy do you want? You exactly, know? Michael Ziki, the the tight end running down the the sideline, um, right before half, I believe it was. Right, the uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson he gets tackled inside the five yard line. He runs it in a couple plays later. Like those type plays, USC had been pretty good at this season. Had been in position and just weren't making tackles. That was the big thing for him yesterday. There was a ton of busts, um, and. That's on the safeties. That's on you know the pass rush not getting there. You know they're playing. They play with. They had thirty guys out yesterday. I can you know because I do every before every game. I try to you know uh, tweet out a or early in the game. I try to tweet out a list of all the players that are not dressed or not on the sideline with USC the scholarship players. Yesterday there were thirty. It took me three tweets to get all all the names in there. At the beginning of the season, it took one. Um, and you know they're playing without thirty guys. And I asked Dante Williams about it. Was you know how. How is that affecting them? Where is it affecting them the most? And he said there's a ton of players that are playing they didn't expect to be playing, a, a bunch of snaps right now. And, you know, they're they're without a bunch of playmakers. You know, some of the guys they expected to be big-time players for him, is the way he put it, just are not there. And he mentioned um, Brandon Peely. He mentioned Ishmael Sopsher. He mentioned Drake London, Corey Foreman. Drake Jackson was limited yesterday to, I think, six or seven snaps. So a lot of the guys that you would consider their playmakers or in positions of real need where they just had a dearth uh, of talent right now at the nose tackle position, they just don't have the bodies that they want there, that's where it's affecting them the most. Now, that's not the only thing, the only reason why they're losing, but it, it, it is a big factor right now because you looked out there yesterday, especially when Keontae Ingram has a rib injury and goes out, you have no playmakers left on the field. You're looking at Jackson Dart saying, hey, can you make everything happen for us? Because you got guys dropping balls, wide receivers just aren't getting open. Um, now he was he was he made some freshman mistakes. He looked a lot like a freshman. He looked yeah. like a very talented freshman 
made some freshman mistakes. I mean, the interception was really bad. You know, especially he had room to run if he wanted to, or he could at least set his feet and got more on the ball. Uh, that one was bad. There were times when he was holding on the ball a little bit too long. Sometimes where he tried to get out of the pocket when he probably should have stayed in it. You know, but those are freshman mistakes, and that's what you expect from a freshman. That's why it's not great to have a freshman being thrown in, and that's where it goes back to three years ago and four years ago and recruiting at certain positions and being able to retain players at certain positions so that you know you're not relying on a freshman to come in and, hey, we know you're a great player, but you don't want to rely on a freshman quarterback to come in and try to take over. You know, It does, doesn't work out for you usually. Ryan, you were able to ask, and I know Dante Williams was asked this in different ways on Sunday night's press conference, why is it going so wrong for USC in the Coliseum, and specifically on defense? Why has that just basically eroded as the season progressed? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I, I feel bad. I said they gave up 255 points, it's actually 225, but still a lot of points. And I mean, the first words out of his mouth were, it's disgusting, you know, and <laughs> there's no... Sometimes, you know, when we would ask like Clay Helton about something that was going wrong, and he was like, well, we did this well. Or we, he, he would always try to find some sort of positive. And I don't know. I would be interesting. It would be interesting to ask Clay Helton this question because there's really not much you can say. Like you're giving up like the high watermark to every single team that comes into the Coliseum. And um, he called it disgusting, which I like. I mean, I'm glad he, he felt that way because it is. Um, just a series of breakdowns, mistakes, and just not being able to. But it, it's not like you're like, well, we need we need to do that a little bit better in practice. Like this has to be a systematic thing, right? Like you you can't have, you know, Arizona is very different than Utah. It's very different than Stanford. It's very different than um, UCLA. Like all these teams are different. The the one thing in common is they score the most points. You know, like when they played against you in your home field, they had their best day. Like they. You know, you're shooting like you know, your best day from behind the, the arc. You know, like every time you play that person, like that's something about you. Like you are not putting up good perimeter defense if everyone, every time someone gets on you, they're you know shooting their best percentage from three, and that's what USC is doing on defense there at home. And uh, I mean, you know, we've we asked them a bunch of questions like that. It's hard to get like an answer like, oh, we, we can pinpoint this, but over and over and over again, you can't just keep giving up the most points that anyone's ever scored. Mm-hmm. Now, I thought it was interesting, and we talked about this on Instant Analysis. Through Nick Figueroa, we kind of uh, got to know what Vic Soto said to the team, or at least the defensive line after the game. And it sounded like, you know, despite that things might look and will probably look different on the coaching staff, Soto's still trying to get this team uh, to build some momentum heading into 2022. And I know some people interpret that differently, but I thought, Shotgun, that it was... It, I think it shows the character of Soto that he still is investing in these guys uh, so they can build on uh, their future. Yeah, and they said... You know, and I, I asked the same question after we talked to Nick Figueroa. I asked the same thing to Jacob Lichtenstein. And he basically said... Because uh, someone said, well, does that mean your guys are basically punting on the end of this season? I said, no, you want to win these last two games, get that bowl game, build the momentum going into the offseason because, you know, if you win three games at the end of a season, that can really give you momentum as you go into, the, you know, go forward and say, you know, if we work this much harder or whatever, you know, see what we're capable of at the end of the season. Um, but I, I think that this team is, I don't think they're going to win three games. I don't think they're going to get a third game because they would have to win against BYU, a, a ranked team and a team that's going to run the ball down their throats over and over. And that's what UCLA was able to do. They were able to get their run game going. And then because of that, they got man coverage all over the board and then they got some busts and you know you see what happened with it. They were able to get those long touchdowns as well yeah. as being able to push the ball um, you know, down USC's throats and just be able to have long drives that way too. So I don't see it happening, but I do like the fact that you know, that Vic Soto is still invested in the players. That he hasn't given up and said, "I'm not going to be here, so what does it matter?" You know, he maybe he is here. I don't know. Uh, you know, we'll see which coaches do get retained if there are any that get retained. But you know, the, you need everyone fighting for that, and it doesn't feel like everyone on the coaching staff, everyone on the support staff, and all the players are doing that, and that's no. that's the issue. Now, you like to see that some of them still are, but part of the reason why they're in the place they are is that everyone's not doing that. They're not all pulling in the same direction. And Dante Williams said something uh, similar tonight. He was asked uh, about the culture. He says it takes two to three years to, to turn around culture. Somewhat true, but you can... I, I kind of disagreed with it, but yeah. What do you think, Ryan? I mean, I think, you, you know, you can change things fairly quickly. Now, there's... You bring in a new coach, you're probably going to have to weed out guys that aren't going to buy in. But I think 
that takes half the roster. That's where the two to you two right. Years but comes I think in. not everyone. You don't have to get rid of the entire roster. Like in three years in college football, you have a completely new team. I feel like you know the guys you have, maybe half of them are going to like buy in, and the other half won't. You get rid of that half. Transfer portal guys, maybe that first year is tough, but by the second year, you should be rolling. I don't think it's a three-year thing if you need to get rid of all those guys. And Chip Kelly, he's, like, he's not even doing that well until year four in his thing. I think that's a little too long. I mean, but that's – I don't think you're doing a good job if you're taking until year four. I, also, but he ran off 85, something like 80 players yeah. in, in the first three years of his program. So that's the, that's the roster turnover. Now, they recruit a different type of player. Um, I think with the high-end players that USC can bring in, you can turn things around a little bit quicker. You don't have to build it up as much, but it does take some time. And that's why I think, you know, I mentioned it last week on the show, or maybe it was on Thursday, that next year could be rough for USC. Oh, yeah. You know, because you're going to have players that transfer out. You're going to have some talented players. Depending on that recruiting class that comes in, are there going to be some play? They're going to be some game changers? There wasn't in that 2020 class. You know, not immediate game changers. Now, we've seen some of those guys build up and become starters, but, you know, is this group that's coming in going to be able to do that? I don't know that that's going to be the case. And right now you see they're really missing having playmakers. When Drake London's not out there, when Keontae Ingram's not out there, both those guys are probably going to be gone. So who's going to fill in and be playmakers? Now, Vavai Melopei stepped up yesterday. That's what you expect from a six-year guy, right? Three touchdowns. Obviously, he's going to be gone next year, too. Yeah, so I was like, is that his like tenth touchdown? Why is USC not winning this game? He just kept coming in. <laughs> I feel bad for Ingram. He like came in and vultured the touchdowns. It's happened before though too. Like they kind of put Vi in when it gets close. Vi is a good, you know, he's he's got a nose for the end zone. He does when yeah. he gets, you know, gets down in the end zone or in the red zone down inside the 10, 5 yard line. He usually finds a way to get. In. I mean, the first touchdown run, he was hitting the backfield. Yeah, just shrugged that guy off, and then yeah. he you know picks up five or six yards for the touchdown. So real quick, Keely. So yes. I do have. Um, so if I'm looking over, I have screens for Facebook and YouTube up. So if you have a question, Gary, I just see you put a question. I'll put your thing up there. Um, if you have a question, put question first, and I'll I'll be glancing at this, and I'll try to put it up, load it up there, and then Keely can kind of uh, share those questions with you, like later on in the show. But we'll. Uh, so if you do have a question, I know there's a lot of comments, people are arguing and stuff, but if you have a question you want us to put on the show, just put question there and we'll try to do that. Mm-hmm. Shagan, I want to circle back to something you said. Do you really think that a new coach coming in, it could look the same as this year? Because I feel like at least next year you have someone to rally around and you have like a future to build toward, sure. whereas this is kind of like your no man's land. Yeah, I think it will It will look different. I think that they just, I think the talent's not going to be there like it has been in the past for USC. Unless they get a coach in quickly and you can get some big names, uh, you know, early in the recruiting. Now, what they can do in the transfer portal could be, you know, there's, it could look okay next year. It could be an eight and four type of season, but, you know, I think it's going to, it, it could be really bad too. And, you know, Texas really makes me think that Texas obviously has had culture issues. Yes. They had culture issues with Tom Herman. I see it as a very similar situation. Sark comes in. And they've done some good things. Got up big on Oklahoma. Got up big in several games and lost all those. Yeah. And part of that is the culture of players not knowing how to win and not having that that you know that buy-in to go that little extra. That when a game gets challenging like that, can you finish it off or do you falter? And you know they faltered over and over and again. So does USC end up looking like that next year? Could be. Um, now I think there's some pieces at USC that are better than what are Texas, but there's also you know some pieces that are that are missing that Texas has. So I think it could look similar to that next year. And again, it depends on the coach that comes in, right? When he comes in, the recruiting class, a lot of factors go into it. But I'm giving forewarning, you know, the last two weeks that it could be bad next year. Too. And I think it's part of it too. You have to look at someone that's good at rebuilding a culture, and we've yeah. seen like I'm going to just throw a name, and I know a lot of USC fans hate the whatever James Franklin, like. You look at what he did, what he took over at Vanderbilt, they were terrible. Two and ten, two and ten, three years of bowl games when he was there, and then they're awful since. So, like, someone like that, you're like, oh, he could take their – like, Sark, I think, could be a good head coach, but I, if you were to sell me, could he go into, like, a Vanderbilt and, like, turn and turn that around quickly? I don't think that's Sark. Like, I think he needs all the, like, bells and whistles around him, and he could make that, you know, the Alabama offense hum. But rebuilding, I'm not sure that's, like – you know, maybe it'll work out. Maybe it's not his wheelhouse. But I think you're going to bring in someone that's that's shown that they can take, walk into a place and go, all right, here's I, I'm going to identify what's wrong, which is, you know, the first step. Like, you, you can go in and say, I'm going to do my thing. But you really need to understand where, you know, where the cancers are that you can root out. Like, you could start fixing stuff and there's still things festering all over the place. So I would say that's probably not Sark's sweet spot. But you want to bring someone in that's able to come in 
and identify those problems and kind of turn them around faster. So I, I think that's why the, the the hire is so important that you can do something like that. Could also be interesting as far as the hire is, does that become a factor? You know, someone that's been able to build a program up and change a culture within the stat, within a program like Matt Campbell. That's something he did at oh, Iowa State, you yeah. know, a program that never has been very successful. And he's built that up. Or are you looking for a guy that can take over where there's pieces? Like Aranda took over a Baylor program. This still was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. You know, if he finishes, I, th- I think if he gets to a New Year's Six Bowl, it'll be like the fourth time in like seven years that, that Baylor's made it that far So and had double-digit wins So with three different coaches. So the program is in a good place. That's a little bit different. So does that factor into the thinking? Yeah. I mean, that, that'll be interesting because, like I said, I think this, this USC job is much different than when Lane Kiffin was hired or when Steve Sarkeesian was hired. I, I think that there's some issues behind the scenes that is the first thing that needs to be fixed before you can start fixing the things on the field. Yep. Now, when I was doing my research for and like reporting for the culture story I did when Dante Williams first became uh, the interim head coach, how he was trying to, you know, reinstill accountability into the program. One of the kind of storylines that came up alongside that was just the friction in the locker room and the lack of unity, especially between the younger guys and the older guys. And I feel like now that's kind of starting to show itself, especially in interviews. I feel like that was kind of the theme that you could pick up on when talking to some of the older vets when they were talking post-game. What do you expect for the next two games if it just feels like frustration is building in that locker room? I mean, it can't get much worse than where you are right now, right? I mean, I guess BYU could put up 70. Uh, there was a couple of people on Facebook, I mean, or I think on YouTube, that were like, is that the most points? So 62 is the most points USC's ever given up. Chip Kelly did it once before when he was yep. at Oregon in 2012. And then 2013, Arizona State, that was Kiffin's last game, right? That was the tarmac game, I think. Yep. So the, the other two games, one was Chip Kelly at Oregon when they were rolling, and the other one was tarmac. So these are pretty historic um, losses. But yeah, there, I mean, what can you do? I think... When we heard from Dante Williams early on, and he was like, hey, we're going to like, you can't walk on the logo and, uh, you know, don't wear your hat backwards, like all that stuff that it was like, yeah, I think he did a good job of identifying some things, but identifying them and then actually getting people to buy in when you don't necessarily have all the power, you know, he's coming in as the interim head coach, but everyone knows you're not going to be there long. Everyone knows you're going to be there next year. Uh, I mean, potentially, I guess. He, Not he, as the head coach, at least. Right, right. And I think I think you just, you know, we haven't heard the 1-0 thing for a while. I think Mike Jenks said it this week to me uh, in practice. But that was a big thing. Like, we heard that 1-0, 1-0, 1-0. Well, then they start losing. You don't hear that anymore. And I feel like he had great intentions. And, you know, I'm not blaming Dante Williams. Like, he was basically promoted to, like, this has been a USC theme, right? They promote people to a job they're not qualified for. And then they expect the great results. And for you, you need an interim head coach. That's the the nature of it. But USC's done that for real head coaches, for athletic directors. They've done things where you don't need to put inexperienced people in those places, and they have. So I'm not blaming Dante Williams for this. He's never had to deal with anything. But I, the gut, the gut feeling I got just from listening to him and his how his message has sort of changed has been: you go into it, and he's like, you have all this like, hey, this is how I'm going to fix things, and then you realize like, I don't have the tools to fix these things, and I've tried, and it's just not going to work. And it, the only way it's going to get fixed is if you have a coach that comes in that, I mean, there's no way, if Dante Williams wanted to fire someone, he can't fire anybody right now. Um, he has no, there's just not a lot of power there. And to go, it's really tough to ask him to go 10 games. I mean, you're like three months yeah. of being the head coach with really not having head coaching power. You bring in the next head coach, you said Matt Campbell, he's, you know, if he comes in and says, okay, you know, here's what we're going to do. There's going to be players on that stuff like, well, I signed up for Clay Helton and, it's more like ice cream and, uh, you know, laser tag, like a lot of the people in the P likes to say. Um, I don't want this. And, like, that's not what I want for my college experience. Okay, you're out. Like, so then they'll leave or get kicked out or whatever, and that's going to happen. And there's other people who are like, yeah, you know, I just want to win. Just someone, you know, coach me up. And, and those are the guys you want. And then you can build on those guys and then bring in, uh, bring in other ones. But it's – I think you need the permanent head coach to be able to come in and, you know, first year, if the offense isn't going the way he wants, he can fire that guy and get somebody else, you know. And there's just – you don't really have that authority, I guess, with with Dante Williams. So it, it's tough. Um, but he really wanted to change the culture. And then from talking to him today, he's it was more like this is going to take two or three years to change. Where before he was like, I can change things, you know. He was, he was more like bright-eyed, bushy-tail. And then it was sort of like came back down to reality. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a hard task for sure. All right, gentlemen, any final thoughts before we jump into questions? 
<laughs> so bad. I mean, <laughs> holy cow, was that bad? Uh, let's Jackson Dart real quick. Um, I think we've heard about this a bunch when, you know, shotgun, you just love Keaton Slovis or whatever. Uh, everyone's like, put in Dart. It's going to be great. Okay. It's the same. Like, literally, it's exactly the same. I like Jackson Dart. I like Keaton Slovis. But the people that were just persecuting Keaton Slovis, and that's why the offense sucks, the offense sucks because the offense sucks. It's not because of who the quarterback is. So we saw the same crap from Jackson Dart that we saw from Keaton Slovis. There's some great plays, you know. YOLO and the ball down the sideline to uh, Gary Bryant like three times in a row or whatever, like awesome. And then you throw one to the other side and it gets picked off. Um, yeah, It's just the same thing like the JT Daniels stuff early on. You're going to say he was terrible. Like, oh, no, it'd be great if you have him back. It's the offense. It's the offense is bad. Um, I asked Dante Williams what they've, done, what they've improved on. If they improved on anything that you can build on, he said the run game, which is true. I think they've run the ball better. I think the offensive line has actually been uh, pretty good, but the offense isn't very good, and it relied on stud players to just make great plays. And now your four NFL wide receivers are gone, and you can't rely on that anymore. It's not a great offense that's scheming guys open. Um, I don't know what it is, but you just, this Graham Harrell offense, and a lot of people were critical of whatever the type of air raid or whatever, um, it's just not working right now. So putting a Jackson Dart into a bad offense wasn't going to make everything better. I get it. If you like Jackson Dart, I think he's going to be great, but... He wasn't. He wasn't great yesterday, and he's, you know, it's it's the offense. It's just like Slovis was. It's it's, it's the same thing. Sure. I mentioned that uh, you know that he made some freshman mistakes, and that's what's going to happen when you have a freshman quarterback. Somebody people are going, well, C.J. Stroud's a freshman. Bryce Young's a freshman. Those are redshirt freshmen. There's a big difference when you've had a year in a system, and especially when you're throwing to the playmakers that are at Alabama and Ohio State. Ohio State's got the best trio of receivers since maybe USC a couple years ago or Alabama a couple years ago. You know that makes it that much easier. C.J. Stroud was phenomenal in that first half, and Ryan Day's coaching him. <laughs> like, that does help too. Like, that helps. Ryan Day's coaching him. Like that's what's going on. And I, it's still so disappointing that. <laughs> As someone else mentioned, you know, the, the best three quarterbacks in the nation are all from Southern California. Mentioning those two guys, Matt Corral, uh, DJ Ungalele as well at Clemson, hasn't had the season that he wants to have. But and JT it, Daniels at Georgia, but he's not starting right it's, now. Yeah. It's, just, all of them. it's so yeah. disappointing to see that caliber, three five-star guys, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and DJ, all from the same class, and USC couldn't get any of them. Um, you know, and C.J. Stroud's a guy that never went hard at. You know, they – when Bryce Young decommitted, they still thought they could get back in with him, and they, they were fighting for him until the end, so they didn't really pursue C.J. Stroud, who's a guy I think that if they would have put all their chips in on him, probably could have got, and you see what he's doing there right now. And He's a great kid, phenomenal kid. Oh, yeah, we were at the opening. or I think me and Gerard were at the opening, and Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud were on the same team, and when it got <laughs> to the finals, Stroud played over Young. Like We were like, hey, uh, what's going on? Should USC be recruiting this guy? And they really didn't, which was – Obviously, a huge mistake. He was actually at the Elite 11 finals this year as well. That, you know, was with the openings uh, finals and uh, came over and said hello and uh, everything. Just out of the blue. Didn't even know he was there. Just came over and said hello and, you know, just, just chopping it up with him a little bit. Great kid, like I said. Yeah. Great to uh, see him doing success, being successful. I lied. One last question. Shotgun, I know one of the keys to the game you had coming into Saturday was USC needs to establish the run, especially to give uh, Jackson Dart some help. Talking to Brett Nealon after the game, he said they started to get it going in the second half and they thought they should have done that earlier. You did the rewatch. What were your opinions on that? Well, let me look it up here. I got my chart where, you know, but to start charting all the plays and participation and stuff, USC, they're, they're, they ran the ball their fir very first play. You know, that's not something they very often do. No, like once or something. What happened on that drive? They got down in the red zone. They yeah. should have scored, but they, you know, they didn't catch the ball twice. Well, it could have been first downs. The next drive... Passed it every single time. Didn't didn't do anything. Next drive after that, passed it every time. Didn't do anything. Then they ran the ball again, and guess what? They scored a touchdown. They ran the ball the, the drive after that a couple of times, but then they rely on the pass. You know, and the the next couple of drives got blown up. Uh, the one after that got blown up because of all the penalties and everything. But they didn't even try to run it on that drive either. When they tried to run the ball, the offense was successful. When they didn't run the ball at all, the yeah. offense wasn't successful. It's snark crazy. Is just oozing. Crazy. And this is very similar to what I said last week at Arizona State. The drive, it wasn't the Keaton Slovis, Jackson Dart thing, whether the offense moved more. It was, hey, are you going to try to run the ball or right. not? Because when they did, when they tried to run the ball, the, the drives they scored, they ran the ball well. When the drives they didn't score, they didn't run the ball worth a damn or didn't even try to run the ball. So it's 
it's what this offense needs to be doing. And you talked about, hey, they don't have the studs, you know, Drake London and counting. Well, your studs are supposed to carry you in any offense. You don't have Drake London now. You need to rely on Keontae Ingram. And when they did that, they were able to move the ball. And Vi, when he got in there, I thought he ran the ball really well uh, on, on almost all his carries. So, you know, rely on that run game. Let those offensive linemen, that veteran group, push push the tempo and, you know, use some tempo as well to keep the defense on their heels instead of having a freshman quarterback. And I asked Dante Williams today about, you know, how would he uh, assess Jackson Dart's play after, you know, seeing the tape and everything. And he said it was a little bit up and down. He said it's a hard team to get your first start against because of all the pressure that UCLA is going to bring. And with that is, okay, well, then attack it with the run game. You know, attack the – because if, when teams are blitzing a lot, if you can slip by the blitz – Yeah, you can break a big play. You break a big – yeah, exactly. You break a big run. So, you know, take the pressure off of him because, you know, he was under fire a lot. And that wasn't all – I know a lot of people, whenever you see a quarterback being pressured, you say, oh, the offensive line was terrible. It wasn't all them. There were six guys coming at times. There were five guys coming. You know, did they have an extra guy in the block? You know, different things like that. The running backs didn't block very well. Keontae Ingram struggled with that portion of, of the game. So, you know, the offensive line was okay yesterday. I didn't think they were great. But I thought when they ran the ball and they gave them an opportunity, that's when the offensive line was actually producing at its best. And when you're, you know, when you can go play action a little bit, keep those linebackers in, that creates a, a little bit more space. Because Jackson Dart can fit it in the window. And sometimes he has to fit in the window because he's not using his eyes as much as he probably should. Like the, the Gary Bryant throw, the one what a perfect throw over the linebacker. Mm. Well, that's because the linebacker was on that play the entire time because Dart was staring him down. And now he made the perfect throw, but if that throw is a little bit lower or a little bit higher, then it changes it completely. Instead of just taking a little bit of the pressure off of him, where if you're running the game, that linebacker staying in on a play action, then it creates that window for you. And you don't have to do it. You're not asking him to do as much moving, moving defenders with his eyes and different things like that. Alrighty, let's jump into some questions. First one is from Gary, who said, Dante and Navar had the most talent, most five and four stars. They are the best recruiters. Can they coach? The opponent's receivers are always open against USC. I don't think they should be retained at this point. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, again, it's, so looking at like small pieces, I think the problem is the whole, the, the, the machine is broke. And you can say, oh, what's wrong with this axle or what's wrong with uh, this part? It's like, the whole machine is broken. And, I, you know, the Todd Orlando thing, I liked them when they brought him in. Uh, it isn't working right now. And it's gotten worse since Clay Helton was fired. It just seems like you took someone that was under him and made it over him. And whatever reason, it's not working. I, I wouldn't say, oh, it's, it's the secondary. It's the line. I mean, it's just as a general thing, the defense is not working at all. So I, it's hard to really point to uh, an individual coach or anything like that. I don't know what you think. but I mean, I... I would have said going into this game that Tyler Lando hasn't done a terrible job. You know, he's put guys in the right position. They haven't done a good job of getting guys to tackle. You know, as far as their scheme, though, I thought, you know, they're doing okay, but their scheme yesterday was broken. And what's most disappointing about that is you had extra time. You had a week and a half. You had two weeks on it. And this is the effort you get out of it? Wow. Wow, that's just stunning that you know, you have extra time and you prepare and you say you look at the offense and say, okay, they put some different wrinkles in and the offense moved the ball early. And usually that's the case, but did they make the adjustments as the game went on? Um, and the defense, they made some plays early and then couldn't adjust as the game went on and just gave up points almost every time. We got a question from Peter on YouTube who said, any chance USC is playing so poorly that someone like Franklin or Fickle would have second thoughts about taking USC's job? Yeah, so that's – I know people look at that and they're very reactionary, like, oh, they're bad right now. I had someone tweet me like, oh, this – you know, I, I tweeted like the beginning of the game when there wasn't that many people, like a picture of the Coliseum. I did it the first quarter, which is more – you know, it shows like when the people are actually in the seats. Um, and we're like, see, it's not a good job. Like, you can't just say, well, they lost some games, so it's not a good job. Or, you know, no, like this is – if anything, it goes the opposite way. You're like, yeah, it's a mess right now, but there's all the potential there in the world. So I can walk in there. I'd rather take over a four and eight program than an eight and four program. And then I turn them into eight and four and I'm a genius, right? I mean, you could, I think that's one of those situations where you don't look at it. Now, if there were problems like in the administration or with the support from the university as a whole, if that was an issue, I think that could something that could keep uh, a, a good candidate from going away. But the way they're playing right now, it's just like when we talk to a recruit. If a recruit's coming in and the team's playing poorly, 
they don't care. Like we've never talked to anyone like, well, they, they, USC lost to UCLA, so is that guy going to go to UCLA? Like, no, no. He goes in and goes, oh, I, when I get there, we'll beat them. Like that's it's that's what's more about, not like, oh, they're terrible. I don't want to go there. Like that's not how they think about this stuff. However. You know, USC has an aura around it, you know, as the West Coast power, you know, the potential that's there. And you think that they get all these four and five star recruits. But if you're one of those coaches and you start looking at what's happening on the field, you might go, ooh, it's not as quick of a turnaround as I might have thought if you start looking at some of the tape sure. and stuff. Yeah. So that may be, if that's one of the things that you're looking at and be like, all right, where can I go and I can make that immediate impact, turn them around. Obviously, USC, there's a great opportunity to get in the playoff if I go in and turn this thing around. But uh, I think you may look at it, and it may not that it's going to say, "No, nah, I'm not. I don't want that job at all." But it might just cause you a little bit of a pause, you know, from what you may have anticipated before turning on the game tape. Yeah. We got a question on YouTube from Chaz who said, "Is losing like that to UCLA the best case scenario to solidify bringing in a defensive-minded coach like Aranda?" Again, this is sort of like reactionary. Like, oh, you lost UCLA. Now we're going to hire a, this kind of coach. Like, if you hire a coach based on because you got your butt beat by UCLA, I don't think you're doing your job. So they might hire a defensive-minded coach, but it's not going to be because they gave up 62 points to UCLA. Yeah. I think this is, again, this is fueled by Brock Heward on the broadcast saying that. Oh, um, did he say that? Okay. He's like, well, you see how they're playing. This, this gives me even more credence that they should go to a defensive-minded coach. And I think, I think that was going to be his thought going into the game anyways, that he thinks that. And a lot of people think I oh, should flip, you know, whatever he, whatever kind of coach you had before, you should flip to the other side to try to turn around, whatever it may be. But it's going to be a complete, you know, it's going to be a complete choice of, you know, factoring everything in, not just looking at offense, defense, all those type of things. It's, it's way more than that. Um, I think culture is the most important thing for the new coach. Now, defensive-minded coaches probably bring a good culture in for what USC needs. So that might be something there that, the administration is looking at, but I don't think they're necessarily going, it has to be a defense guy. doesn't matter anything else, but it has to be a defense guy. That's not going to, they're not going to limit themselves in a search like this. Yeah. Yeah. I put in the war room, plug the war room, subscribe plug. Fridays, Friday morning. Uh, USC's admin has been pretty quiet about the search, but something to know is that it's not reactionary. It's based on months of evaluation and it's not one of those things where, oh, Aranda had a great game. Now let's focus more on Aranda. It's a whole, uh, process and the phrase that kept kind of coming up was uh, performance agnostic. You know, you're, you're trying to look at the whole thing, not just what's happening week by week. So uh, I think Brock said that you said shotgun, but that's not how USC thinks. And that's it. Yeah. So we got a question on Facebook from Gary who said, I expected to see more Max Gibbs against UCLA's run game. Did you? He was supposed to get 15 to 17 plays. What happened? Not necessarily because we didn't see him practice a ton last week. Yeah. Um, and I know that He's a kid that we want to see do well and everything, but that the defensive line, if you don't practice, you don't play. That's Vic Soto's kind of mentality. Um, and the defensive staff, I mean, Dante Williams, if you if you miss a practice, you're not going to start. So it wasn't that surprising. I mean, the only play he was in on defensively was the two-point conversion attempt by UCLA when they were trying to get to the 50-burger. Um, but <laughs> And that was because he had already run in for the extra point block. Uh, so They scored two more touchdowns after that. How yeah. funny is that? Like, I mean, it's not funny. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, you're like, <laughs> you're going for a two-point conversion trying to get to 50. I'm sure Chip Kelly would be like, oh, no, we, like, we just want to get to 24 points for some reason. It's not like at the end of the game, it's like, oh, we're going to try to go for two and like put the 50 on there. It's like you end up scoring two more touchdowns. <laughs> it's just like, okay, whatever. But if they would have just kicked the extra point, he would have scored the most against USC ever. So True. Um, he didn't do that. Trojan Trojan wanted to know what is the status with Parker Lewis, considering Alex Stadhouse was the main kicker on Saturday. Was not dressed. The broadcast said that he had a stomach bug or something, um, and it happened right before pregame. Keely and I didn't note if he was warming up during pregame or not. We didn't, you know, it wasn't a position we were paying attention to before the game because normally we're looking for people that were out during the week and stuff, and he had been back. So we weren't paying specific attention to him. But I didn't see him on the sideline at the beginning of the game when I was going down and creating my list of all the players that weren't dressed. But then I noticed him at, in the second half. So I don't even, he may not have been out there during the first half. I don't yeah. know. Maybe he was sick and was in the locker room or something. I'm not exactly sure. I, I, I never located him because I was looking for him the first time I saw Stadhouse kick the field goal. So oh, where's Parker Lewis? Is he dressed? And couldn't find him until the second half. Um, and so they said it was a stomach bug. I, I guess that's what we'll go with. I mean, 
have nothing else to, to go on other than that. Yeah. So mm-hmm. hopefully he's back for USC next week. But great job by Alex Stadhouse once again stepping in and making all his field goals, makes a tackle on the kickoff. They could have used him making one more tackle with yeah, that Kazmir Allen going 102 yards. Mm-hmm. Nicholas on YouTube said, question, Ryan, Florida fired Dan Mullen. Did you know? I, I did know. I heard about this. <laughs> uh, no, I was, I was funny. I jumped on the exercise bike this morning. I have, I have a friend that went to Florida and was talking about this a lot. And then I sent, you know, I got a text and I get off the bike. I'm like, oh, Dan Mullen got fired, which I think everyone sort of expected. It was similar to the Jimmy Lake stuff where performance on the field is, was bad. And, you know, they've had historic bad, I mean, losing like South Carolina, uh, some of the losses that they, they, they just lost to Missouri in overtime. Missouri goes for two for two and overtime and beats Florida. Everyone's just sort of like getting their day of beating Florida and having fun with it. But then Dan Mullen also like screws things up with his mouth by talking about, you know, recruiting. I'll talk, well, recruiting's later in the season. He's already known to not be like a great recruiter, or like relentless recruiter. Which I don't how, know you how you hire someone like that in the SEC. Now worked in at uh, Mississippi State. You if know. you get the right guys around you, you don't have to be necessarily. Yeah. And if you just be the closer, Alabama. I mean, Nick Saban is a relentless recruiter, but Nick Saban's not the guy making all the phone calls and all the texts to, and DMs to kids. But he's the closer. Yeah, but he still does a lot with. That. I mean, you see him with photos. I mean, he's he's involved in recruiting a lot. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think he's going to be up for the USA coaching job, but he'll be an amazing offensive coordinator somewhere. And I think someone on the page was like, on the peristyle was like, hey, if USC hires like Dave Aranda, what if you get like Dave, you know, uh, Mullen as your uh, uh, offensive coordinator? I mean, that would be star studded cast. So, and I could see this administration trying to do something like that if that's something Aranda would want to do. But I mean, might be difficult to get, but he's going to make a lot of, he's already getting like 12 million bucks or something, but, uh, I mean, he's going to make a bunch of money as an offensive coordinator, I think, somewhere. I think if, if he desires, he can easily take one of these jobs that is going to be vacated, whether it be a Campbell or Jan, maybe not James Franklin, but one of the Power Five second-tier jobs or like a Cincinnati or something like that if Fickle leaves. I think that's the level he'd be at. I don't think he has to drop all the way down to a group of five, um, but I, if he wants to continue as a head coach now, can USC wow him with some offensive coordinator position? I like coming across the country, all that extra stuff that goes in that, I just don't see that being something that he would want to do. We got a question on YouTube from Mark Watkins who said, didn't Mike Bone hire Todd Orlando, Sean Snyder, and Bobby Steiner? All three have been massive failures. Why should we have faith that he'll get the head coaching hire right? Um, yeah, they were, I think, I mean, to be fair, the administration was involved in all that stuff. Now, with, with Todd Orlando, would that be different um, if – you didn't have to fire a head coach. It was a co- he had a COVID year, and Dante Williams even talked about that. Like you didn't really get to know the players, and then you have this year. I don't know. I mean, it's just hard to say. Robert Steiner. It's. it's I mean, I, I. I don't know. Like you got one year of him. Um, I mean, it's just. I, it's hard to say if those are like all massive failures. There's been a, a complete failure in the program. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Like it just. Those could all be bad hires, but you know, it it might be part of the circumstances of what was going on here. I mean, I don't know Snyder's been a massive failure just because they gave up one touchdown. Yeah, yeah. he's. Uh, I thought he's been pretty solid. He hasn't been spectacular. But he hasn't been as good as we probably anticipated. We expected yeah. at least a return touchdown somewhere in there probably or a block or two. Uh, that hasn't happened. It's been pretty even keel until that, that kickoff return. Bobby Steiner, Ryan said this many times when we've talked about strength and condition, but we can't really tell you when a strength and conditioning coach is doing really well or doing terribly other than what the players tell us. And, you know, are they getting bigger or are they getting smaller, depending on, you know, what they're trying to do. And I've gotten positive reviews on Bobby Steiner and what he's done from players and coaches and stuff off the record. So, you know, not just to butter up. So I can't promise you whether he is or not. We can't go in the weight room and see, oh, yeah, he's, do- he's teaching really good technique out there. So that one I'm not sure on. Um, and then the, the other one, Orlando. Like I said, I, I thought go- going into this game, I would have said Orlando's did an okay job putting guys in place and they just haven't made tackles, but this game, they, they just yeah. got too many busts schematically was, was not good. And you wonder what would happen if Aranda would have taken this, the USC defensive coordinator job. Yeah. Who knows what that? Yeah. It's, it's tough though. With, when you're circling the drain, everyone's sort of coming down with you, you know, and yeah, it, it could, I point. mean, it could be like all Orlando's fault, like, but it's, or he's doing a great job and he's just fighting for whatever. He, it's hard to really say at this point, there's so much wrong. Yeah. 
Uh, John has a sharp question or a pointed question for you, Ryan. Oh. He says, why is it so hard for you to admit that the players just aren't that good? I just don't see many players on this team that would play on a Pete Carroll team. Can you? So, I mean, the problem is you can say, oh, the players all suck. Like, is that easy to say? Like, oh, everyone's terrible. Like, well, I don't think they're terrible. I mean, we've still seen guys go into the NFL. Um, there's a lot of dudes that you look at and you're like, oh. We watch them in practice. They make a bunch of catches. They're you know good plays. They're good blocks. Whatever it is, but they're part of a team that's very poorly run. That the culture is awful, and that's to me that's the main problem. Is the talent up to the level of the Pete Carroll years? No, it's not. But the talent isn't giving up 225 points to five like marginal teams from your conference in the Coliseum. Like there's a discrepancy between the amount of talent that's on this team. And if you look at the, the talent composite from 24-7 sports, you look at the recruiting rankings, all that stuff, the guys that were still on the team, they were a top 10 team in the country. Like, if you're going to say, well, they're overrated. Okay, so make them top 20. They're not playing like a top 20 team. Like, they are definitely playing below the level of the talent is whatever you want to argue that talent level is. You say it's less than what everyone thinks. Completely fine. It's not this much less. Like, that is the huge discrepancy. That's why even in, in the 2018 team, that was a number four in the talent, <laughs> you know, and they they finished five and seven, um, just underachieving. We've seen this sort of happen over and over again. So I'm not really, and they, that team had a ton of, you know, talent on that. You know, there's a ton of talent on that roster. Maybe time will tell that there's just not going to be as many, uh, you know, does Corey Foreman pan out? Like, where does Drake Jackson get drafted? But there's still dudes that are going to be drafted. They're going to be NFL guys. Um, and, you know, it's hard to tell with some of the younger players. But to just say, oh, the, all the players suck, I just think that's just – it's easy to say, but that's not the case. Development has been the big issue, biggest issue. Yeah. Throughout Clay Helton's tenure in the last five years, that's been the biggest issue. That's why Bryce Young didn't come to USD is because that was one of the things that these high-end recruits are looking for is player development. So, yeah, their talent level is a little bit lower than it has been in the past because they haven't recruited at the same level, but also they're not developing those players. There's more talent coming out of high school on this roster than places like Oregon State. Sure. But Oregon State plays better because they have been coached up better. So that's the difference. They have a great system. They're, they develop to the system. They're coached to the system. USC just got a collection of players that are good. And no, no direction whatsoever. Mm -hmm. We're reaching the top of the hour, so I'm going to put us into rapid-fire mode. Okay. Also, if you have any burning questions you want us to answer, put them in the chat. We'll be sure to answer them. We got a question from Jeff on Facebook who said, Would you consider Corey Foreman's season a bust, considering he was the number one recruit in some publications coming into this season? We also got a similar question from Ron who said, uh, Corey Foreman was such a high-level immediate impact recruit, yet has eight tackles on the season. Can you comment? You got, it's availability. He just had not been all that available. And I think when he started, it was more about third downs and just being a pass rusher. But he wouldn't practice half the time. And so I, I, it's hard to say it's a bust. Where it's, just, it's not like he's out there and screwing up. It's just hard to get him out there. I would say it was is a bust. Well, yeah, bust okay. A bust season, at least. Now, I wouldn't say that he is a bust and that he has no potential going forward. But yeah, this season has been a bust, and the big thing is you, your big, your best ability is your availability. Yeah. He hasn't been available to practice during the week, so the coaches aren't going to give him a full workload on the weekend. Um, and this would have been a great week if he was healthy this week. He he probably starts, you know, or at least he's playing a good amount because Hunter Eccles played probably eighty percent of the snaps until he actually hurt his shoulder late in the game. Um, you know, that, as Drake Jackson's backup. So Corey Foreman, if he was healthy and ready to go probably is the guy that goes in there and instead or at least is rotating in a lot more and probably would have had a career high in snaps, but he's not. He had the concussion last week against or two weeks ago against Arizona State and hasn't been back at practice yet. So, you know, it's just unfortunate timing for him that when Drake Jackson does go down, he's not available to, to fill in for him. But, yeah, he hasn't been able to practice consistently. And because of that, they're not going to give him, you know, they're not going to say, well, you didn't practice at all, but we think you can get to the quarterback and, you know, do all your responsibilities correct and everything else. So they say – hey, we're going to put you in third and long situations when you can rush the passer because that's a one-track thing to do. Let's just get you attacking. And and so that's the the times when he hasn't been available for full practices. That's the only job that he's had on game days. Real quick, uh, Ladarius Martin on YouTube. I want to – Our resident Alabama fan. He said, if Saban had them players, y'all be playoff bound. I mean, yes, he's one of the best, if not Mike the Trump. best, yeah, but it's college not... football coaches in history. But that, what Honestly, I don't think that's correct, though. Maybe Ooh. not play about. They would have won the Pac-12. 
at least the Pac-12 South. Yeah, but which, I'm gonna put a poll in YouTube. Uh, well, you're gonna answer yeah. Jersey's question. But that's that's the point. Where you're like, oh, the players are just awful. And it's like, well, if you had a good coach, they wouldn't be. Like that's the, that's the point. If, so. if they had the the roster that USC had yesterday, then no, he still wouldn't. I mean, they they have no nose tackles. Saban, they would. Their all linebackers players, have not played well. If he had 12 months with the, that group of players from yesterday, depending they would, on what, yeah, maybe if he has 12 months, maybe they win the Pac-12 South, but. No, they would. They would win. Okay, the polls. They're up. not a college football playoff team. It's not a college football playoff roster to me. With the not a college with, football playoff coaching staff, I can tell you that. With the injuries that they've had at certain positions, you know, yeah. losing Drake London, you know, Nick Saban can scheme up everything he wants, but if the wide receivers don't catch the ball. You're not picking up those first downs. Yeah. Kellen on YouTube said, with all of the blitzing that UCLA did, did USC throw one screen pass? I don't rece- remember seeing one. They didn't throw any running back, you know, any halfback screens or anything to Keontae Ingram. However, they did try to throw some wide receiver screens, but almost every time those were blown up. The tight ends just did not block at all in those particular plays. Yeah. There was the the one to Taj Washington where Jackson Dart had to pump fake it and then throw it because the pressure had gotten there and he throws it and now you get a you know a, a, a offensive pass interference because he's past the line of scrimmage when he throws it to him. That's because you didn't get the initial block with the tight end. There was one drive where I think they ended up scoring on, but twice they tried to throw it to Gary Bryant for wide receiver screens. Both of them were negative one-yard um, turnouts because the tight ends didn't get the blocks. So they tried some things, but if you don't block, it doesn't matter what play call you have. I remember a couple years ago at Texas, when USC played at Texas, there were a couple of great screen calls. They had four offensive linemen out in front with two blockers, two guys to block. They didn't block either one of them, and the next guy came up too. So there's three guys on top of Stephen Carr. It doesn't matter if you call the right call if no one blocks it. Right. Need some blocking. We got a question on YouTube from, or excuse me, Facebook uh, from Alan, who said, who, the, who would the staff pick as the next head coach between Aranda and Campbell? Our staff? I believe it's probably us. Yeah, I think that's a tough one because I think what Shotgun said earlier, like I, I like both of these guys, and I know people are higher on Aranda than Campbell, but Campbell. I mean, if you look at what Iowa State's done without him, the what he done has done there would work well with what he's going to do at USC. Like you need to rebuild this from the ground up, and you know the good thing is you're trying to. He made Iowa State like a power, like the top ten team. Sometimes uh, I know they're six and five now, but he turned them in from nothing to that. Like USC's been that. Like it's a lot easier to remold the team that's like back there. You got when you have these banners hanging up behind you and all that stuff. So, I, I mean, I know. Rand, I mean, he's just done it for longer. The experience. I, th- I think I would. There's a little less risk there. Uh, there's risk with everybody, but I think I would go with Campbell. What do you think? Really, I would go with Aranda. I would go with Aranda as well. Southern California native. I think that's a, a big factor help. for me. Yeah. But just the rebuilding, like you said, he took over a good program already. True, but they were they were bad last year. So, you know, rebuilt it into a, a solid right. team. Fair. Um, now, recruiting tra- chops, I think they're kind of even. But Aranda has been on that LSU team that went to the national championship. So he's got that experience too. So yeah. I think I would go to Aranda. Didi Diego on YouTube said, can you name three defensive players that have not given up? I'll start with the three defensive guys that we talked to yesterday. Uh, Nick Figueroa, Jacob Lichtenstein, and Xavier Alford. I mean, you could tell in their voice the pain yeah. from that game, the devastation. So I'll start with those guys. Kanai Malga is still a you know a flying hit hit machine. <laughs> so you know I don't think he's given up. I don't think he's given up. So yeah. he's flying around hitting people. Um, so I'll just start there with those guys. So there's your, your three plus one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there's like a, I mean, there's a lot of individual guys doing things, but it's a football team. There's 11 guys. You all got to kind of have to be on the same page and it's just willy nilly right now. And I'm not blaming the players for it. Um, it's, it's just tough. Like they're just not, you're trying to herd cats at this point. You're the people running all over the place. It's, it's, yeah, it's a mess. That's why you need someone new to come in and just clear it all out, reset button and just fix it all. Also, a quick shout out to the players who, after loss after loss, still stopped to do interviews with us, uh, sometimes more consistently than the coaches themselves, like uh, Brett Nealon. He's always great after losses. Um, so just class act by by those players. So big thank you to them. Yeah, oh. Especially because yesterday, it was an embarrassing loss. I said this on instant analysis, but the players were literally embarrassed by it too. I know the fans are embarrassed by it and having to wear this you know, around town with UCLA fans, especially if you've got some friends that are UCLA fans. But the players were embarrassed by it too because they were literally ducking and diving away from us 
uh, from d- the potential of doing media. They were ignoring if we, we said their name, some of them, pretending they didn't hear us. Some of them, the one player was literally hiding behind a teammate. You know, had his head down, tr- turned away from the media, you know, hiding behind a teammate. Good thing he chose a defensive tackle or a defensive <laughs> lineman to hide behind. But, you know, so the players that actually stopped and talked, you know, much more, much respect to those guys uh, for doing that because, like I said, you could hear the pain in their voice and the devastation from that loss, you know, the defensive players after giving up 62 points to a rival. Mm-hmm. Uh, results of the poll could make Saban get this 2021 roster to the CFP. 50%, 56% of the YouTube viewers said no. Okay. So that's. 43% It's a coin yes. flip. That's pretty good. That's not a coin flip. I'm ahead. <laughs> that's a coin flip. <laughs> well, it's not. That's, that's 50-50. That's like Ace-King versus Pair of Jacks. Like, that's pretty much a coin flip. Pretty much a coin flip and a coin flip are two different things. <laughs> oh, we got a question from Coley who said, how much of the hire is what Bone wants versus Carol Folt? Who makes the final decision? Uh, Bone. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think there might, if Bone tried to hire someone that was going to, like, make the university look bad, I think Folt would get involved. But I, I, I think she's I think she's figured out that how important this is. Uh, every time she tweets something, everyone was telling her to fire Clay Hilton and stuff. So I don't think she's meddling in this, except if there was going to be someone that's like bad reputation that they didn't want to bring into the program. That, that's my guess. Phil said, did Jalen Smith get benched after trying to trip the wide receiver on the touchdown he gave up? Shock, and I know you and I talked a bit about this after the game. Your thoughts? He was not dressed out. Um, a couple drives later, I saw him on the sideline when I was doing injury checks on Raylan Goforth and uh, Jacob Lichtenstein, and you know they, they were getting beat up as the game went along as well. But he wasn't—he had his pads off, so I'm assuming he got injured. I haven't done my full charting to see if he played any after that. I don't remember seeing him when I rewatched the game today, so I don't know if maybe he pulled up. You know, the trip motion was partly because he he pulled up uh, pulled a muscle or something, and that's why he didn't try to dive the guy's leg. I don't know for sure. But I will say he was out of uniform later for whatever reason. Uh, Belton had a question. Can you guys remember a year where so many top college jobs were open at the same time? No. This is, uh, I mean, the fact that LSU, Florida, and USC are top tier jobs. Like, those are all top ten jobs. Um, that's a lot for one cycle. And then you add, the like, the Washingtons of the world. Um, you know, TC, you got some good big, big 12 jobs. You know, TCU, Texas Tech opened up. Um, there's a bunch, uh, out there. So the, you know, Florida, LSU and USC all in the same year, like blue bloody, you know, that's, that's a lot. Washington's another really good job on the West coast. Yeah. It's more of the top 15 ish, but yeah, I think that's, you know, I mean, it's one of the top four in the, on the West coast probably. For sure. Yeah. Um, but th- that's, how do you think that's going to affect the coaching search? Cause obviously when USC does it, they're the first ones, they have a lot of extra time. They can do, go through the back channels, do all their research you know, reach out to as much people. But now, as it gets closer and closer to making a decision, it's going to make it that much tougher. They could end up being in a bidding war with someone. They could end up just losing their guy because, oh, well, LSU came open and, you know, I'm Dave Aranda. I've been there before and that's much more comfortable where if LSU's taken, maybe USC is the pick for him or, you know, so it could change what options are available for USC. There's more seats. Oh, it's like musical chairs. So there's, Fewer, there's more people than seats. And, you know, if you look at the seats as the, the great head coaching candidates and the people kind of going around while the music, and the music stops and you got to go sit down. And it doesn't, it's nice that you've been running around that circle for a while, like USC's been. And, you know, if they really focus on like a Dave Aranda, you know, I think it's less likely that LSU was going to go after, like, that might be a little lower on their list. I think uh, they're going out, they're trying to get, you know, some of the, you know, try to go get Jimbo, whatever they're going to do. Um, but it could come down to that where it's like, Hey, they feel like he, he's going to come back to LSU and USC basically it signed them already. So there's, there's real connections there. And then Florida coming into the mix that, you know, that, that can, uh, screw up a lot of things too. So it, it it's going to be really interesting. And there's definitely potential now that USC could have their guy, but a Florida or LSU would have the ability to outpay, you know, pay more money, sell the SEC stuff and, it could be a you know a, a fatal blow for USC's coaching search, but I I don't think that's going to be the case. But it's certainly a possibility uh, when something like that happens versus like a Washington opens or a Texas Tech opens. Mm-hmm. We had a question from Fred on Facebook who said, "What are your thoughts about the refs and how atrocious the OPI call was and changed momentum? Not to mention the missed targeting call and blatant hold on a UCLA touchdown." Uh, I mean, like it's so hard when you lose by. 30 or whatever like <laughs> at least by 29 you're like well there that one pass like that one call was bad like yeah it was bad 
I mean, USC had momentum later in the game, and then they give up a 100-yard touchdown run. You know, so, like, momentum's changed. Like, that was, you know, there was, like, seven or eight more touchdowns scored after that play. So, it's it's really hard to kind of focus on something like that. But you, the problem is USC kept putting themselves in a position where if anything goes wrong, the drive was going to stall. So, if you get a bad call, which you're in the Pac-12, so you're going to get a bad call, the drive stalls. <laughs> no. They actually picked up first down, remember? Or would have been a first down right after that, but Lake McCree didn't line up correctly. Yeah. So they got an eligible man downfield. Right. So they, after they could Michael have fixed Jackson it. had a yeah. twenty five yard catch. So they fixed that problem on their own, except they screwed it up again. <laughs> exactly. So like it's hard to say, oh, they made a bad call. Like, okay, sure. Yeah, there were the rest were not very good in that game, I didn't think. Yeah. yeah. Um but that call, I could see why they made that call, because he did have a handful of jersey and then used it to he didn't really get a lot of separation with it because yeah. he ended up going vertical, but I can see why they made the call. But there were several calls that were not very good. A couple more before we wrap this one up. Brandon says, why do we keep throwing jump balls to Katie Nixon? They didn't throw any jump balls to Katie Nixon. They threw a lot of jump balls to Taj Washington. Katie Nixon's rarely in there. They threw to him on a critical down, though. I forget what it was. It was like a fourth third, down. No, or third, a third. third and six or something in the red zone. This was play after Taj Washington drops the ball, runs an out, throws it just a little bit high. You can't get up and make the play. Catchable ball should have made the catch. Do you remember that, like back, like when Devin Williams was on the team and like he had hadn't like had a catch yet, and like they only threw it to him like in these super critical downs. Like he hasn't got a caught a ball yet. Why are you doing that? Like Katie Nixon has not had a good contribution really at all. Like I'm not going to him on third and six. Like I want to get him involved somehow, but not on the most critical downs. But the two guys that you're throwing to are both second year guys. That's a fifth year guy. You, sh- you should trust his hands. You yeah. brought him in to do something, right? Yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's a mess. He needs to catch the ball. Coley he, says. He does. There was a lot of that. Who? I thought about you a lot. <laughs> I was with him on the sideline, and he was like, I'm tweeting all caps. I got to catch the ball. He every was, time a receiver doesn't catch the ball, I'm like, oh, you got to catch the ball. Yeah, it's a shotgun's mantra. Coley said, who's the best team in the Pac-12? Utah. They proved it last night. Okay. Hard to argue with that. Name a more iconic duo. Oregon, a top-ranked Oregon losing to a random South team. It happens all the time. It does happen all the time. But, Utah, I mean, Utah's shown they've got better throughout the year. And now they have Cam Rising as their quarterback. Uh, I mean, that, they were, yeah, they were like a three-point favorite in that one. And uh, I was all over that. I'm like, yeah, no, Utah's going to win. And when they were 28 nothing at halftime, like, it was crazy. They just put a beat down. And uh, might have hurt USC's chances to get like a Luke Fickle because it looks like Cincinnati's got a, a much clearer path of the playoff now. Alrighty, let's wrap this one up. Any final thoughts, Shotgun? We're going to need a statement from you on the hair. So many people are yeah. wondering. Yes, he does have hair, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I say it's like a Kenny G vibe tonight. Why you throw me into the Kenny G mix? <laughs> um, yeah, just trying to distract you guys. A pink shirt, hair, just so you wouldn't notice that there were 66 points put up yesterday. And 62. Six, 62 points and 690. You keep making yards, it sorry. worse. I know. I, I made it worse telling it was 255 points. You make it. You are, know. are you sure it wasn't? It felt like there were more points. <laughs> you sure it wasn't like 82? Yeah. Uh, it was a lot. But I, I just want to thank everyone. We had like almost 400 people on YouTube and a bunch on the other platforms and stuff too. I know the seasons I've, I've tweeted out and they're like, why would I watch that? And people are just not. So it's great that we can be your therapist and uh, come here and talk USC football. Trust me, they're going to be brighter days ahead. Uh, losing to your rival by 29 is no fun. Uh, at least Chip Kelly's going to stick around to UCLA for a little while. So whoever the next coach is can beat up on him for a little bit. But uh, And they won't have to worry about his recruiting because he doesn't like recruiting. But anyway, thank you all for, for coming out and uh, sticking with us. Should be better. I remember we got the huge bump after Clay Elton was fired and things kind of like come back down a little bit. But people are still excited. They want to find out what's going to happen. They want to find out who the next head coach is going to be. So make sure you check out uscfootball.com. The war rooms are are pretty uh, in fuego right now. So if you go check those out on Friday, it's worth being a subscriber for sure. You can do it for a buck. So get on there, subscribe, and uh, you, you won't regret it. Lex says, uh, it's so cool you guys got Weird Al to come in to fill in for Shotgun. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my God. Weird Al doesn't have this much gray, I don't think. No, yeah, he does. I would think he does. I think he does. Yeah. Probably but that, oh, my God. That's fair. Like, you could do Halloween, like, right now. If you, like, walk into a Halloween Ryan, party. it's November. It's almost Thanksgiving. I know. So <laughs> you should get excited. It's Thanksgiving. Speaking You'll get to eat of, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Speaking of, scheduled next week, Boss Man. No show on Thursday. We're going to give you guys the night off. It's Thanksgiving. You want to watch some NFL football. 
uh, whatever. We got a couple of Pac-12 games on that Friday, I believe, and Ooh. then then Saturday we got a bunch of rivalry games in the Pac-12. Yeah, USC and BYU, big rivalry. I know. Uh, <laughs> ooh, you should come out for that one, but don't expect to like you know just go have a fun tailgate and stuff because it could be uh, it could be yeah. So we're not gonna do a preview show, but we'll still put stuff up on the site. Let me give uh, you the preview real quick. BYU can run the ball downhill. USC can't stop the run downhill. Not a good matchup for USC. It's not exactly what UCLA was, pretty much. I said the same thing about UCLA. Yeah, I said yeah. the same thing about Arizona State. Pretty much every team this year that USC's faced that hasn't been Washington State. Yeah. What was it? Rocky Three? Clever Lang was like, what's your prediction? Pain. Like, <laughs> that's, that's my prediction for this game. Pain. Oh, goodness. I got to find that. I'm sure there's a meme somewhere. So, goodness. Clever Lang. Goodness me. Was there a better character? Like, oh, my God. Mr. T with the, the Mohawk and stuff. So badass. He was great. Alrighty. We had a couple people ask about the Cal game. Would it be canceled if USC doesn't win their fifth game? They've already committed to it. Yeah, so it's not going to suddenly get canceled no, now. It should I, have been at this point. You're not going to get yeah. that forfeit back. And uh, a couple people did mention Nick Saban went 6-6 six and six in his first year at Alabama with someone else's player. So yeah. you think he's suddenly going to turn around USC? No, I think, he, well, I think To he, a CFP playoff in his first year? No, not happening. He was uh, also younger then. Like, he has so much more experience. He was yeah. already a national championship winning he coach. Was. But and, it's and I bet you he took over more talent. If he took over USC, he would have more talent than he, when he took over Alabama. They they weren't very bit. good back then. Yeah, yeah. But still, six and six lost to Louisiana Monroe. Yeah. Alrighty, that's gonna wrap it up for tonight's show. Thanks for so much for tuning in, everyone. We love talking to you guys. Like I said, no show on Thursday. Have a happy Thanksgiving. We are thankful for all of you. But that's gonna wrap it up. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.